in a quiet town just outside of New York City. But away from the hustle and bustle of city life, a wife and mother vanishes into thin air, leaving her friends and family clueless as to where she could have gone and why she would leave in the first place. Her disappearance sent shockwaves throughout the small community and it would be more than 10 years before a tragic discovery left everyone with more questions than answers. This is the case of Patricia Viola. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. At 4.30pm on February 13th, 2001, 40-year-old Jim Viola got home from work. The Viola family lived on a quiet street in the small town of Bogota, New Jersey. Population 8,000, but literally across the river from Manhattan. Jim walked up to the door expecting another normal evening with his family. He wouldn't usually have been home as early, but with it being Valentine's Day the following day, he'd left work early to pick up some gifts for his wife. He gets to the door, balancing his briefcase and the wrapped presents in one hand while opening the door with the other. Once inside, he'd usually hear Pat call out, but instead something felt off. The house alarm was actually beeping, which meant that it'd been activated like no one was home. You know, you'd set it before you leave. It was one of those alarms that gives you like 20 or 30 seconds to enter in the code before it notifies the security company. So Jim immediately puts everything down, races over to the keypad and enters the code, still wondering where Pat could be. Some people set their alarms while they're in the house, but not the violas. They only set it when they would leave the house and when they would go to sleep. You might be thinking, well, it's only 4.30. Why is he wondering where she is? But for Pat to be out at that time of day was unusual for her. Pat and the rest of the family all had a pretty set schedule and Pat's routine for the whole marriage always included her being home when Jim got home from work. So even though this is super strange in his mind, he doesn't want to jump to any worst case scenarios just yet. 
he enters the code, disarms the alarm, and it's then as he turns round, he notices something else out of place. The key that they kept left in the keyhole of their back door is laying on the kitchen table. Instead, still not trying to jump to any conclusions, he goes and checks to see if her coat and her handbag are in their usual place. Now her coat is gone, but her bag is there with her ID, her phone, her keys, but really worrying her epilepsy medication. Pat had been diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of 12 and was taking two different types of medications in order to prevent seizures. Although, generally speaking, her epilepsy was under control, a few months before this night, back in November 2000, she had experienced a rare grand mal seizure that had left her unable to drive. Her driver's license had gotten suspended for three months, meaning she would get it back in February 2001, which is the current month that this case is set, as long as the doctor signed off on it. But on February the 6th, Pat got the devastating news that her doctor recommended another three months of suspension. She was gutted. So finding this medication begins to really stress Jim out, as one of her meds is due around 5pm, which is pretty much the time that he is finding her bag. So the fact that she left without them now makes Jim think the worst. He's trying to tell himself that she probably took some cash out of her purse and popped out to a nearby shop. She's a 42-year-old woman. She doesn't need her hand holding. But as the hours tick by, Jim can no longer make excuses in his mind. So he starts to call around family and friends. But call after call results in him being no closer to knowing where she could be. He even goes out and drives the different routes that she might have gone, but he comes home still clueless. His gut is telling him something is wrong. Really, really wrong. She wouldn't just leave without telling a soul. So with panic now in full force, Jim calls the Bogota police at 11.58pm to report his wife missing. Two officers are dispatched immediately to the house and they file an official report that evening. Now, they didn't actually even make him wait the normal 24 or 48 hours because she was classed as high risk without her medication. Obviously, there's not much they can do at that time of night as it's well after midnight. So first thing the next morning, they start investigating with the first thing being to try and nail down a timeline of events for the day of the 13th. Jim tells them that the morning had started like every other morning. Everyone had been up on time, Jim got ready for work and was out of the door by 6.30. He did say that Pat had seemed a little more down than usual, but not enough to make him worry that something was majorly wrong. Now, Pat and Jim had two children, Christine, age 13, and Michael, who had just turned 10. They were the next to leave to go to school at around 8.15. And then Pat left not long after them at 8.30. They were able to verify this because she'd set the alarm as she was leaving and it registered as it being just after 8.30. From there, they were then able to confirm that she did make it to the school, which was only two blocks away where she worked as a volunteer librarian. Police spoke to the staff and nobody noticed anything off with Pat's demeanour. Yeah, she'd been a little quieter than usual, but no red flags. Pat had left the school at 11.30 and the police were even able to track down a mailman 
who had said that he had waved to Pat on her way home at about 11.40. Like I said, this is a small town. So, you know, generally speaking, you are going to see somebody that you know. The next step was to search the family home. Police found a message on the family answering machine from the morning of the 13th from Pat's mum. Her mum said in the message that the Viola security company had called her asking if everything was okay at Jim and Pat's house because apparently the alarm had been tripped. They tried to call Jim at work but he hadn't been able to take the call and Pat was at the school and even though she had her phone she never kept it on or would even check it while she was working. So when they couldn't get in touch with either of them, they went to the emergency contact, which in this case was Pat's mum. Now, the security company also contacted the police, who did send an officer to the home to check for any signs of a break-in. But they didn't see any broken windows or open doors, nothing. So they just left. Is it possible that someone was in the house and they just didn't see, like maybe someone had picked the lock on the door or something? Because personally, I don't really think it's enough to just, like, walk around the perimeter. For all they know, someone could have picked the lock and was waiting inside for Pat to get home. Regardless, they didn't do more than a quick walk around the outside. And then they told the security company that everything looked okay. They basically figured that Pat mustn't have closed the door fully on her way out that morning, which made the alarm go off. So does that mean they checked the door? Because there was nothing that I could see in the police reports that suggested that, but that's by the by. Anyway, back to the voicemail. Police call Pat's mum to see if she'd ever managed to get a hold of Pat after she'd left the voicemail, and she tells them yes. So Pat had actually come home. She called her mum back at 12.30, reassured her that everything was okay. Pat's mum said that during the call, her daughter was totally normal. The last thing police are able to confirm is that she actually reset the alarm at 1.11pm. So that was either her going out or just resetting it because it had tripped. They assume that she set it to leave the house again. And that's how Jim would find the house at 4.30. Police go and speak to neighbours, but no one reports seeing or hearing anything suspicious at all. The media even reported that police stopped buses and contacted taxi companies to see if anyone had picked her up because they still are thinking that she must have left willingly because they'd literally found nothing to suggest otherwise so far. They even went as far as contacting nearby airports to see if she'd flown that day. But none of these phone calls give them any leads. The pressure to find out what happened is really on as the amount of doses of her epilepsy medication that she's missed means the risk of her having a seizure is increasing by the second. So the police ramp up the search efforts and bring in a police dog to try and track her scent. But the dogs don't pick anything up. They even do an aerial search over local rivers and marshes, but after a few days with absolutely nothing to go on, It's like Pat has just disappeared into thin air. The police have two theories at this point. One, that she left on her own, and two, that she'd met with foul play. So the first option hasn't brought anything to light, so they begin considering the second option, that someone caused Pat's disappearance. And if that's the case, then the person responsible could be someone close to home. So remember at the start I said that Jim had left work early the day Pat went missing to go buy her Valentine's Day gifts. Well, when police start investigating for possible foul play, 
they look into that part of the story. Yes, Jim has been cooperating fully with the police the entire time, but they have to take a look at those closest to Pat and weigh up all the options. So police bring Jim in for formal questioning. The questioning goes on for several hours, literally asking him about every part of his day and why he'd left work early. Was there anyone who could verify where he was? Did he go anywhere other than the shopping mall to buy the gifts? They also question him about his relationship with Pat and if there were any marital issues. But after a gruelling few hours and a lie detector test, police are confident that Jim had nothing to do with his wife's disappearance. Even though Jim isn't a suspect, the police did get a ton of information about Pat during all that questioning. And it told them a lot about the days leading up to her going missing. Jim had told them that Pat had been under a fair amount of stress before she went missing that day. Jim's mum was really sick and because Jim worked full time, Pat was the one who had to take care of her. And with no driver's licence, she was having to use public transport to go back and forth to take care of her. The licence suspension had also really gotten her down because she couldn't do the things that she loved, like driving her kids to and from school or their other activities or even to just go to the shopping mall by herself. And I know how I feel about driving, so I really do feel for her as I would honestly hate not having that independence. Jim also told them that his sister Donna had recently moved in with them after a nasty breakup with her boyfriend. And even though it was only meant to be temporary, Donna's habits had been really getting under Pat's skin. Mainly Donna's smoking. Police heard that Donna would smoke in the house, so after Donna left every day, Pat would set about trying to get rid of the cigarette smell. She would try vacuuming, using air fresheners, everything. And to be honest, as a mum, I get her frustration. It's just another person to look after and clean up after and worry about, etc. Now, she hadn't said anything to Donna about it, so it was all just bubbling under the surface. Until February the 12th. So the day before she went missing, she found cigarette burns on the guest bedspread and lost it. Not just because the bedspread was ruined, but because it was a major fire hazard and she had young kids to think about. She talked to Jim about it, telling him that she was going to confront Donna and tell her that she was putting her kids at risk and it was not okay. They couldn't do it there and then as they were going to a party that evening that was being hosted by Pat's best friend. Tony, Pat's best friend, who was more like a sister, told police that she'd had a conversation with Pat at the party that left her feeling shaken. She said that when Jim and Pat first arrived, although Pat was dressed up and made up, Tony just knew that something was off. Then a few minutes after arriving, Pat pulls her to one side and says, we need to talk right now. They went into another room away from the other guests And she was shocked when Pat immediately just fell apart. In between sobs, Pat told her something was wrong, like seriously wrong. Despite her repeatedly asking what it was, Pat kept saying it was too complicated to go into at the party, but promised that she would tell her everything if they could just go away together for a few days. Pat even asked Tony to cancel a trip that she had coming up. That's how badly she needed her bestie to help her get through whatever was going on. No hesitation, Tony agreed. She promised Pat that they could go anywhere that she wanted, as long as she told her what was going on. 
Now, if I was police, I'd be thinking that this has got to be more than just her feeling overwhelmed with her mother-in-law and sister-in-law, because that's the kind of thing you can easily talk about to your best friend at a party. Especially as I assume, again, as her best friend, that she would already know that Donna was living with Pat and that Jim's mum was sick. So this must have been big, like much bigger. What Pat then says next is even more concerning. She says that she wanted Tony to look after her kids no matter what. She then began crying and again Tony asks Pat what is going on but Pat just repeats that she can't say anything there and then. Tony could see that she wasn't going to get any answers out of her friend so the minute the party ended she cancelled her trip and then the next morning called Pat. And according to media reports, she was definitely a little off and upset. So this is now the 13th, the day she goes missing. But exactly like the night before, Pat said that she didn't really want to talk about it. And she actually brushed it off and changed the subject. So if my bestie is listening, just know that I'd be like, "Uh, no, you were sobbing, asked me to cancel my trip and look after my kids. No matter what, we are not dropping this. You are spilling your guts right now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Pat got off the phone with Tony and stormed downstairs and started screaming at Donna about the burnt bedspread. Jim later said that he was shocked by her reaction because in their entire marriage, Pat had never raised her voice, much less screamed like a maniac. Was it the straw that broke the camel's back? She'd had the driver's license and the family drama to deal with, plus her own health issues. So she was clearly struggling. Police start going back to the theory that maybe Pat just walked away and there isn't any foul play actually involved. Or again, the possibility of suicide. But there's no physical evidence to support that theory. No note, nothing to indicate that that happened. Pat's family also don't believe for one minute that she took her own life. Jim was quoted as saying, quote, I don't think she would do anything to herself, not with her mother and children in her life, end quote. Jim also told police that despite the stress she was under, she actually had a lot of good things to look forward to. For example, the couple had just purchased a timeshare in Pennsylvania and hadn't even visited it yet. It had now been two weeks since Pat vanished, and the likelihood of finding Pat alive and unharmed is getting slimmer and slimmer by the day. 
That's when Jim comes up with a theory. A theory that he believes could be the key to bringing Pat home. Jim says that maybe Pat quickly popped to the shops for something and had a seizure while she was out. Pat had wanted to get Jim a gag gift for Valentine's Day. A singing monkey in a cage. Just something funny and light-hearted. Now, it hadn't been found in the house, so he thinks that maybe she could have gone out that afternoon. Jim thought that if she had had a seizure, she could have gotten seriously injured and maybe even gotten amnesia because of it. And maybe, just maybe, she's in a hospital somewhere and doesn't know who she is. But police tell Jim that they disagree with this theory. They said that when a patient shows up to the hospital and doesn't have any idea of who they are, law enforcement is always notified so that they can assist in finding out who this mystery person is. So if Pat had lost her memory and was taken to hospital, the police would have been informed already. Jim, though, is clinging to anything. So he takes Pat's photo to every nearby hospital just to make sure she's not there. But none of the hospitals have a Jane Doe that matches Pat's description. February turns into March and the police are no closer to finding Pat. Jim sends her story to every local newspaper and gives interview after interview, hoping that someone will come forward with anything to help find his wife. The tips that come in are few and far between, but a month after Pat disappeared, one of those tips does offer a glimmer of hope. A man calls police saying that he thinks he saw Pat up in Pennsylvania, which, remember, is where they have their timeshare. Now, because the family hadn't even been there yet, it wasn't included in the police's initial search. But after that tip comes in, law enforcement spring into action. The tip had come from a town about 10 minutes from where the timeshare was. So they contact the local police up there and Jim himself drives up there to check the timeshare, thinking that after the argument with Donna, she wanted to get away for a couple of days. But when he gets there, there's no sign of Pat. The house is untouched. Local police keep searching and Jim gets coverage of Pat's case on the local news and stops everyone he can in the town to ask about Pat. But this ended up being another dead end. Over a year goes by before another tip comes in. And this time it's unlike any other tip they have ever gotten. The call comes from a man claiming that he killed Pat. His exact words were actually, quote, I killed the old girl, end quote. Police try to keep him on the phone and talking for as long as possible so they can trace his location and any other information they can before he hangs up. But as they're talking, he starts saying things that make them think that actually he's got nothing to do with Pat's disappearance. He claimed to have Pat's driver's license but they know that Pat didn't actually have a physical license at the time. As remember, hers was suspended. So there's no way he could have it unless it was an old copy, but that's very doubtful. But because it's been basically a year since they've had anything solid to go on, they keep talking to this guy and they don't just write him off. Plus, the man seems happy to keep talking. He tells them that he's on a bus travelling along the East Coast, travelling from Florida to Massachusetts with a woman. The police are pretty convinced that this man probably has nothing to do with Pat's disappearance, but still, they want to be sure. So they send a unit in North Carolina to stop the bus that the man claimed to be on along its route. When they do, 
they don't find him. But they do find the woman he claimed to be travelling with. And it turns out that the caller is this woman's ex, who was just upset that she'd left him for another man. So the whole thing had been a hoax from a jilted ex-lover. After this tip, the case officially goes cold. The police still do work every tip they get, even though there are very few and far between. Jim does everything he can to keep Pat in the public's eye, even working with a private investigator, a guy named Gary Miko, who volunteered his services after seeing the website that Jim had actually set up to provide information on Pat's case. Now, when Gary begins his search, he hears an interesting theory. Even though the Violas lived in a fairly safe neighbourhood, just a few years before Pat went missing, there was actually another tragedy that happened on their exact street. Gary decided to track down the mailman, who had told police that he remembered waving to Pat. They're chatting, and he says to Gary that it's really hard for him to believe that the two crimes that happened across the street from each other in such a sleepy town could be anything more than coincidence. Gary's like what crime across the street? He then discovers that on October 23rd, 1997, a triple homicide had happened at the house directly opposite the Violas. A diamond dealer had been killed in a targeted robbery homicide, but two other men in the house at the time were also killed as collateral damage. Four men were arrested for the triple murder. And the theories running through the town was that since the trial for that crime was happening during the time of Pat's disappearance, the suspects for the 1997 murders may have hired someone to kidnap or kill her, believing her to be a witness. Now, it later came out that police didn't believe it was true. Pat had no ties to the crime, nor was she on any witness lists. But let's be honest, it could have been a case of mistaken identity or a killer for hire simply going into the wrong address. After raising hope in Pat's family, the lead went nowhere. As the years passed, the case stayed stone cold. Jim and the Viola family never gave up hope of finding Pat, and Jim actually became an influential figure in legislation regarding missing people. In 2008, he worked alongside government officials and other loved ones of missing people in the state of New Jersey to pass Patricia's Law, which is a law that requires police to take every missing person's report, regardless of the circumstance, and inform the family of available support services. And if the missing person has not been found within 30 days, police have to take DNA samples of that missing person and enter them into a national database. Every day that passes is another day for Pat's family to be haunted by questions about that cold day in February. But in 2012, they find an answer to at least one of their questions. And it was closer than they realised. According to a news article in The Herald, police get a call from the University of North Texas, specifically the Centre for Human Identification, the call comes in on September 11th, 2012, and in this call, they say that human remains that were found washed ashore, are you ready, in 2002, so that was literally just a year after Pat vanished, have been identified as Pat Viola through DNA. So let's backtrack for a minute. On July 27th, 2002, 
okay, so 10 years before this call comes through, a bone fragment from a left foot was found washed ashore by a man walking on a beach in Queens, New York. It was found along with a sock and a white shoe that matched the ones Pat had been wearing the day after she disappeared. So even though the remains were found in 2002, DNA wasn't extracted until 2005. Initially, I was shocked that it had taken three years to take a sample, but that article in the Herald said that the medical examiner's office was still overwhelmed by the aftermath of 9-11. In fact, they still had 21,000 unidentified remains and over a 1,000 people had not been positively ID'd yet. So that just devastated me about 9-11 all over again. So I do understand that. What I don't understand is how the fact that the shoe matched the description of what Pat would have been wearing didn't make its way to police investigating, but okay, we need to move on. Once it was extracted, it was then sent to the University of Texas for analysis. Pat's kids, however, didn't submit an updated DNA sample to CODIS until 2011, and that is actually when the remains were matched. Apart from the 9-11 part, the fact that these remains had sat in storage for over a decade is just so frustrating. Frustrating to police and the Viola family, who spent so much time and resources looking for a missing person who was likely deceased the whole time. Jim broke the news to Christine, but Michael, who was now 21, was actually in a medically induced coma because of an infection. It wasn't until he was out of hospital that they finally had a memorial service for Pat in 2013. Unfortunately, investigators can't come to any conclusions about what happened based on the small amount of bone fragment that they've got. The beach is about five and a half miles long and it leads to the Atlantic Ocean. So there is literally no way to know where or how her body could have gotten into the water. At the time of the discovery, so back in 2002, police had searched the beach on foot and with helicopters trying to find any additional remains, but they never did. Again, I just want to say, I don't understand. This was only a year after Pat had disappeared. How is this not fresh in the police database that there is a missing woman out there? Could this be her? So I just, honestly, I can't get over that. It just makes me go on a rant every time I think about it. So did she leave on her own and have an accident? Or did she take her own life? But also, how on earth did she get there? She couldn't drive. She didn't take a bus or a taxi. And let's not forget the house alarm going off. Police say that today, Pat's case is still open, even though essentially they have classed her as being deceased. They aren't ruling anything out at this point and they're still actively working to help bring closure to the Viola family. But at the end of the day, Jim, Christine and Michael are still waiting for the answers to the millions of questions that they've had for over 20 years. As you can imagine, there are so many theories circulating on Reddit. One was that she was planning suicide, so had asked Tony to cancel her trip so that she could be there to look after the kids when it all came out and Jim was trying to deal with everything. Another was saying that just because a foot was found doesn't mean you're dead. You can live without a foot. So that could lead you two ways, that she wanted to disappear, so somehow chopped off her foot so that when it was found, people would think she was dead. Or another was that someone had kidnapped her, chopped off her foot so that when it was found, 
others would assume that she was dead and he was doing whatever with her. Then there's other theories that maybe she was having an affair and was trying to break things off and was now being threatened and fearing for her life, she had the conversation with Tony. The stress of the affair being exposed can make you jumpy and prone to overreacting, which would explain the outburst that she had with Donna. And then that also ties in to the brushing it off with Tony because people are saying, well, maybe she brushed it off with Tony because the guy she's having an affair with had called her and said, hey, let's just talk this through. I'll pick you up later. We can drive out somewhere and just have a rational conversation. So maybe she's thinking, okay, I don't want to get into this with Tony right now because I might not have to even tell her. Either way, I have so many questions, everybody has so many questions, that I just couldn't find answers in my research. Regardless, I hope the three remaining Violas have been able to rebuild their lives as best as they can. Thanks for listening. To see today's case photos, click on the link in the case description to join the Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. And if you're enjoying here, please leave a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Until next week, stay safe.